If God is able, we are able. Welcome to the podcast from One Cause Church. Go to the book of Ruth. That's where we are in Route 66. Book of Ruth. Chapter 1. Beautiful, beautiful little book. It's only four chapters long, but it's full of some great stuff. Ruth was written, or the, the story of Ruth, I should say, is during the time of the Judges. Remember, we talked about the time of the Judges basically being the Dark Ages for the nation of Israel, where, um, as the Scripture says, that, that in those days that there was no king among them, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Uh, we all know how that works out. That's called anarchy, and it never really accomplishes anything. And so it took them to a very dark place in their history, in the, in the life of Israel, but God showed his faithfulness over and over again for people who will cry out to him. He's always there to bring deliverance. Yes. Anyone yes. whose hearts will turn to him, whose, whose heart will cry out to him, he's always there because he's faithful and he cannot lie. He's good and that's yes. never going to change. He's faithful. That will never change. And he yes. continues to show himself. And as Timothy said, even though we are faithless yet, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. God is not going to change who he is based on what we do or don't do. He has to live with himself. And at the end of the day, he's going to stay constant. He's going to stay faithful and loyal and loving and gracious and merciful. And that's why we can know that when we do stumble, when we do falter, that we can always get back up and have hope for the future and know that God has a new beginning for us, a new place, a next step. Hallelujah. That, that he didn't falter. He didn't quake off of his throne when we failed. No, he said, I still got a plan. I still have a purpose. Just follow me. Get back up again, and let's keep moving. All right? He's the God of many, many, many beginnings. And that sunrise every day reminds us that God's mercies are brand new. And when it sets, we can know that it's going to come up again, and it's going to be a brand new day. So we're ever mindful of God being in the new, in the now, right now. Hallelujah. He's not holding our past against us, so we need to stop doing that to ourselves. Are you hearing me? Old things are passed away. All things have become new. And we're going to see a marvelous thing in the book of Ruth. It's a great story. It's a story of, of it starts off with loss and, and grief. And, but then, then we find devotion and love and, and, and commitment. And we, find, we also find uh, favor and, and redemption. And we find Jesus, as we do in every book, that even in the Old Testament, as it's Christ concealed, Yet we see him just peeking behind the veil. He's in the symbols, and he's in he's in uh, the and some of the characters of the Old Testament, the the old that who who help us see another glimpse of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to find him here. But uh, as we map our way through this course, Route 66, we're on the road today, and we're going to pick up a memento, one for you to be meditating on for this week, and to chew on, bring into your own life. And then we're going to look at an attraction here, the thing that we must see, and then end up talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, because this is who it's all about. I want to remind you today of the good news that Christ died for your sins, according to the Scriptures, and He was buried, and He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. And whoever believes on Him will receive everlasting life. It's the greatest, it's the greatest news that could ever fall on the ears of mankind, that God loves us. And he wants us so bad with him in heaven that he was willing to not even spare Jesus to get us. He would give up his own son 
What a love. In chapter 1, we're going we're to jump down to verse 14 in just a moment, but it opens with this family of four who feel forced by the fierce and ferocious famine to leave their failing farm and find their way faring in foreign fields. They leave Jerusalem, or they leave Bethlehem, I should say, and end up in Moab. The father's name is Elimelech. Everybody say Elimelech. Elimelech, which means God is, or my, what does it mean? God is my king. That's it. My king is God. And then his wife, Naomi, which means pleasant. And then they have two sons. And this is where the name meaning goes way south. Uh, I, I think it has probably something to do with the times that they were living in. As I said, these are very dark times for Israel uh, where they continue to come up and go down and come up and go down and come up and they would do evil in the sight of the Lord and then they would, their, their enemy would be strengthened and bring them under oppression and they would cry out after some years or some time and God would raise up a deliverer or a judge. Remember we talked about that whole frustrating process of 300 plus years of that happening and this story takes place. This is like a little ray of hope here, this story of Ruth, right during that time. And uh, where was I going? The names of the suits. Thank you, Mark. Keep me on track. The names of the two sons. And so after being in this very negative and dark environment <laughs> where everybody just does what's right in his own eyes, they have children, and the first son is named Malone, Malone, I don't know. I'm, I'm not Jewish enough to say it right. Uh, there is an H, so I'm sure there's a H in there. Uh, his name means sick. And Kilion, or Chilion, which means dying or wasting. These are my sons, sick and dying. <laughs> we have no hope you can tell, we're in complete despair here. This is the best we could come up with. Sick and dying. This is all we see around us, so we decided to name our children that. You're welcome, son. They leave Bethlehem, and they end up in Moab, and right along that time, Elimelech passes away. And now it's just Naomi, the mother with these two sons, and they spend the next 10 years there in Moab, eking out an existence. And during that time, these two boys marry two girls, Moabite girls, which uh, is frowned upon in Israel, that Israel and Moab would mingle like that. Because of things, because of the history between Israel and Moab, Moab was a terrible enemy to Israel. They, they tried to wipe them off the, the face of the earth, and, but they weren't able to because you remember the story we talked about back in, when we were in Numbers when Balak hired Balaam to come and curse Israel. Remember the donkey talked to him? And then they finally get there, and Balaam says, he stands up and looks over Israel, and, and God apprehends his mouth, and all he can do is bless them. And he even says these words, he has blessed, and I cannot reverse it. And he just, just brings forth these marvelous blessings over Israel. And four different times this happens, and Balak finally throws up his arms and says, forget it, there's no way we can win. 
but Balaam then lets him know how he can win, and that is that his women would seduce the Israeli men, and it worked. And so Israel began to mingle with foreign nations, and that brought a lot of trouble for And So this was not God's plan, not God's purpose, and now here are these two sons. They find themselves in the land of Moab, and now they take on Moabite women as their wives, one being named Orpah and the other one being named Ruth. Ten years being there in Moab, sick and dying, finally die. Imagine that. You don't expect a long lifespan with names like that. But now the trouble really hits because here's Naomi who's not only now widowed, but now she has outlived both of her sons. And the grief and the loss that she is experiencing here has got to be overwhelming because not only does she have to deal with that loss, but now she has no real security for her life because women back then didn't have jobs like a lot of the women do today. It wasn't a two-income household. It was the man was the security, the husband, and if she didn't have a husband, then she really didn't have much hope. She would hope maybe to marry again, or maybe some relative would take care of her, but that's as, about as much as she could expect. But <clears throat> now he's gone, her security's gone, and her sons who could possibly take, who could take care of her during the time, now they're gone. And now she has two widowed Moabite daughters-in-law to think about as well. This is about as bleak as you can get, as about as bleak a circumstances as one can imagine. And now here Naomi is, Naomi meaning pleasant, is, and yet all she sees is everything that is unpleasant around her. Now she has to make a decision, and she decides, I'm going back home. There's no security for me in Moab. I'd rather be insecure in Bethlehem than insecure in Moab. We pick up in verse 14 of chapter 1, and she's telling them, Orpah and Ruth, you need to go back to your land to Moab, you need to get husbands. You're young enough. You need to have children so that you can be taken care of. I can't take care of you. Verse 14, then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, that is, Naomi said to Ruth, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. In other words, Orpah's doing what I told her to do. You go too. But Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you, for wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Next verse. But where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. Now we see Ruth's character come shining to the forefront. This is no average woman. This is a great woman. This is a woman who's willing to leave everything that is familiar to her, to leave the identity of her people, her homeland, and even her foreign gods to follow after a woman who offers no security and no future for her, except that she loves her mother-in-law, except that she is an honorable woman, and she knows that there's, there's risk here. She knows that there's great sacrifice here. But having been attached to Naomi... Apparently, she has found great strength and blessing in that that she did not find in her own upbringing. So she attaches herself to her. She clings to her and says, I'm not going anywhere without you. Even if it takes me to the grave, I'm with you. And this is the memento I want us to pick up today. And you might want to 
write these things down to, to bring into your life. These are some good pillars of virtue and character to meditate on, to, uh, even if you're already doing these things, to just strengthen them in your life. And if there's some things that are lacking here in your life, to, to bring them into your life and to help solidify uh, your, your course of life as well as your families. The first thing is, I want you to notice she said, where, where you go, I will go. That is, she made a commitment to leadership. Make a commitment to leadership. Are you hearing? That means always be teachable. Always have a voice speaking into your life that you can listen to, you can adhere to, you can follow, particularly a voice that speaks for God. That's why it's good to have a pastor. That's why it's good to have a good, uh, uh, strong, man, a godly husband to help lead, all right? Because we can't properly lead if we don't properly follow. So follow, make a commitment to leadership, all right? And it's not always the easiest thing to do. You know, submission is, is easy when, when you're agreeing with everything. It's when you, you don't agree, but you do it anyway. Amen. That's what I learned as John Holler's son. And if you don't like it, you better start liking it. Or the backside will pay dearly. And boy, did it ever. I'm grateful for it, though, now. Commitment to leadership. Commitment to leadership. It's a, it's a, it's a pillar of good character in your life. Number two, she says, where you lodge, I will lodge. And this is about a commitment to your home. And I want to say this to the men here today, those of you who have wives and children, to not bring your work, your frustration from work home and pour it out on your family. All right? Make a commitment to your home that when you're in the home, you're going to be in the home. You're going to look your children in the eyes. You're going to look your wife in the eyes. You're going to be a good communicator. You're going to lead them. You're not just going to come home, and that's the only thing you do is just relax, and, and everything else just is kind of going on around you. Are you hearing me? Make a commitment to your home. Be in the moment. Be in the house with the spouse and the mouse. Sorry. Kill the mouse. You should kill the mouse. Next, she said, your people will be my people. Make a commitment to good fellowship. Just like you're here today. Make a commitment to, that means make a commitment really to the house of God, to be among God's people, where his people gather. Yes. Heather and I, we don't decide we're going to go to church on the morning that church is. We decided many, many years ago that today we would be in church, all right? That commitment started a long time ago, all right? Because if you, if you live that way, if you decide, if you wait till that morning, there's a very good chance you ain't going. Come on, I'm not, can I talk, can we talk real today, huh? Because it's at that moment that you're going to find every reason not to, right? You're too tired, the baby, what else? Come on, cowboys are on, <laughs> Mitch. I think, I think I feel a little headache or something. I, I, th I think I might just, I think if I just sleep this off, yeah, I think, I think be, it's probably better that I just stay here. I don't want to pass anything on anybody else. Uh, you, know, you, you know. You know the excuses. Yes, amen. 
Honey, did you put gas in the car? No, I, I don't want to get out and get, you know, take the risk of getting gas on my clothes. We can find the reasons if, if we want to. That's what I'm saying. Make a commitment to fellowship. Be there, all right? Just make that Sunday. Sunday's the day that I gather with God's people. Wednesday nights. <laughs> Not as excited about that one, I know. And then commitment to worship. She said, your God will be my God. In other words, these foreign gods, these dead gods, the, the, of the traditions of my fathers, they brought nothing to me. I'm going to serve your God, the one who is alive, the one who's on your side, the one who split the sea wide open, the one who caused the Jericho walls to fall flat. That's the God I'm going to worship. And I want to remind you today, your God, the living God, is alive and well, and he lives in you. And that means every moment of your life, every day, he's worthy of our praise. David said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. Amen? Hallelujah. So, you know, praise is a vocal thing. Prayer is a vocal thing. Well, I pray in my head. That ain't praying, that's meditating. Open your mouth and pray. All right? We have a moment of silence. Why? So we can just keep people silent? No, I'm not going to be silent. I'm going to pray. I'm going to declare. All right? So pray out loud. Open your mouth. Vocalize because your words are building your life. Your words have power to them. I will worship. Your God will be my God. So we bless the Lord. We open our mouths and exalt him and worship him. That's what the scripture says now in, in, in Ephesians chapter, I mean, Hebrews chapter 13. It says, now let us continually offer up the sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks. Not just a nice little thought down in the heart toward Jesus. No, the fruit of your lips, giving thanks to his name, vocalizing what's in the heart. Amen. And then she says, and where you die, I will die. That is, she is committed to this for life. Committed for life. Committed to the house. Committed to leadership. Committed to the church, to fellowship with God's people. Committed to God himself to worship him. Now, we get over to, they come back. What happens is, is that Naomi and Ruth come back and the people greet them as they come to their home, to Naomi's home, and Ruth with her. And they greet them and Naomi says, no, there's no need for celebration here. Don't call me Naomi anymore, which means pleasant. I want you to call me Mara, which means bitter. I don't have anything to rejoice about. I don't have anything exciting to talk about because the Lord has inflict, afflicted me with a dead husband and dead sons. I don't, there's no reason for me to rejoice, so please don't come out here and play that game with me because I ain't going to join the party. So, and it's, and it's very possible that what happened to her husband and her sons was a judgment from God. He left their home during a famine and went to a foreign land, which was frowned upon. Moab was, and probably paid the consequences. And then their sons married Moabite women. But Naomi is standing there in the ash heap. What did she do? So she, she, she can't find any reason to be excited or joyful. Everything has gone wrong for her. Everything has been lost. 
Now she's got this little tag-along Moabitess to remind her over and over again of her in, of pain and affliction. But yet she does find comfort in her because she's just so enthralled with Naomi. But finally she says, I've got to do something for you, Ruth. I've got to do something for you. You've got to have security. I, I, I'm nothing for you. I'm too old. I mean, if I, if, if I could even have a child now, would you wait for that child? to be raised and then marry him. It's just not right. We need to do something now. So, so Naomi goes out to the, out to the uh, field and begins to glean wheat. And um, a lot of times what, what the Jews did was that when they harvested wheat, they would leave some by the wayside for those who were less fortunate to come along and pick some up so that they could survive and make bread and cakes and those kinds of things. So that's the kind of thing she was doing. She found herself in this field. And, they, and Ruth said, if I can go to the field, to this man's field, Maybe I'll find favor in his sight. Well, she didn't know that this happened to be the field of a man by the name of Boaz. And Boaz sees her out there, and he asks, begins to inquire about her. Who is this maidservant? Who's, who, who does she belong to? Because she is a Moabite, which means they could dwell with the Jews as long, but they could not live like them. They had to be slaves or servants of them. He said, who owns her? Who's, and, and so they begin to tell him the story. And I want to pick up in verse 11 of chapter 2. Stay with me. Are you with me? Yeah. All right. Verse 11, And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me, because when he told her that she could stay with the women there and, and pick the wheat and all those kinds of things, she said, Don't go to any other fields. I've got provision for you right here. And she fell down. She says, How is it that I have found favor in your sight? Verse 11, And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done. How many of you know that it pays to do the right thing? Yeah. Hmm? yeah. And as Jeremiah was talking, that when you sow, you will definitely reap. What you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of, her, of your husband and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth, that is, you've abandoned your people, you've left the place that you once identified with and have come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come or refuge. Wow. So now that brings us to the attraction today, the must-see. Out of these four great chapters, we're going to go to chapter 3, verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? Now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? Wow, what a good, good connection they've just made here, huh? It just so happens that Boaz is a relative to Naomi. Actually, Naomi's husband. In fact, he's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself and put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies and you shall, well, women, they know. That's amazing to me. How you ladies know what to do and when to do it. And you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, all that you say to me, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. What an interesting scenario. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself, and there a woman was lying at his feet. And he said, who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. 
Watch. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. In other words, in today's vernacular, she said, marry me. Wow. She proposed. So don't tell me that it's just tradition that men propose to the woman, because we found it right here. <laughs> and not just anyone, a Moabitess woman would propose to, oh, by the way, Boaz was rich. Oh, no, come on, let me hear you, single ladies. He was rich, a man of wealth and stature in the community, and he was a good man. Then he said, blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, in that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. In other words, he's saying you wouldn't just marry anybody. Yeah. Ladies, yeah. I'm not talking about married ladies. It's too late for you. I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm talking, talking to you single. Can I hear the single ladies today? All right. Can I hear the single girls today? Come on. Where are you? Now, I want to help you today as I helped those in the first service, that you need to wait, be patient, and wait for your Boaz. Are you hearing me? And don't get caught up with his relatives. You know, lazy as, dumb as, cheap as, especially that third cousin beating your ass. Make sure that you wait for your Boaz, and make sure that he respects your ass. Amen. Good. Okay. That's, Holy Spirit, come back. Come back in here. I'm not even going to look at Miss Velma. We got to keep moving. All right, the person of... Hot in here. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wait for your Boaz. Now, let's, let's go further now and let's see something marvelous. Back to chapter 2 for a moment, verse 8. And this is where Boaz says to Ruth, You will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. Wow. This, I mean, if, if you're a Bible studier and reader and been in church a long time, you know that Boaz is the kinsman redeemer, and he, he represents Christ in that way. But I, I thought this was interesting, too, that here he shows grace to a foreigner. I find myself in that. We can all relate to that, that God came and found us. And the scripture says that he demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Right in the middle of us living like they were in Judges, just everyone doing what was right in his own mind with no sense of accountability or, or, or anything like that, but yet God sent his son while we were in that broken place.
place and died for us. He demonstrated his love for us in that. Boaz didn't have to do this for Ruth. He didn't have to do that. But instead, he brought grace. He gave favor instead of rejection. Instead of telling her, get off my property, he gave grace. And, I, you know, and he says, and she asked him why he showed that favor, and we read that. He said, because you know, I've heard the full report about what kind of woman you are, and may the Lord repay you. But there has to be, I think there's something else to Boaz's story here too. Why he has a tender heart for this Gentile woman. Because Boaz wouldn't be here if it hadn't been for another Gentile woman. Another story that we read back in the book of Joshua, when a little lady by the name of Rahab, who was running a house of ill repute, was storing spies from Israel and protecting them as they were getting ready to conquer that walled city. And she told them, please don't forget what I've done for you. Please spare me and all of my house, my father, my mother. And they said, we will. Remember the scarlet cord in the window? And they did. And Rahab was welcomed into the family of Israel as one of them because she spared the spies. Therefore, they spared her life. And she ended up marrying a guy by the name of Salma or Salmon. We'd say Salmon. And they had a child whose name was Boaz. And now here Boaz is, seeing a Gentile woman, and he just can't help himself. I think he sees his mom. Because he honors his mom, because he's a good man, he wants to do what he can to help her. Because this this woman's not trying to cause trouble. She wants to be a part of what's going on in Israel. She's willing to leave everything behind. She's willing to leave father and mother leave her land, leave those foreign gods, and be among God's people where life really is. And he shows her favor. And the scripture says, Ephesians chapter, let's turn over there. Ephesians, what is it, 2? Verse 11, look at this. Therefore, this is where, this is where we see the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called circumcision that made in the flesh by hands. Verse 12 that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. What that, and you've heard me talk about this before, but I want to remind you just how incredible God's grace is for us because at one time God only dealt favorably with the children of Abraham. His blessing was upon Abraham and upon Abraham's descendants. That is the natural born children of Abraham, the Jewish nation, and they were set apart through circumcision, which was the seal of, of the righteousness of faith. It was just a seal of it. It was symbolic of it. And, they all, and, and, and the law of commandments was, was their identity as a nation to serve God as God being their king and their Lord and their ruler. And, and so now, and when Jesus came into the earth, he came for the children of Israel. His, his ministry was to the Jews. That's who he healed. That's who he taught. And, and it was not to anyone on the outside. It wasn't to people like us at that time. That's just how it was. God saw one people. They were the object of his affection. They were the apple of his eye. He loved his people. And Jesus said, I'm not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But yet we see these little glimpses of hope for us 
as there was one or two Gentiles that uh, a, a centurion um, received from him and a little woman who, who had a, a, a daughter who was um, demon-possessed who came and fell at his feet. Remember, she said, right. the dogs get the crumbs from the master's table. And Jesus said, great is your faith, woman. See, I mean, at one moment he said it wasn't right that he should give her what belonged to the children. The next thing, it became the right thing. What changed it? Her faith in him. Yeah. Her faith in him, faith changes everything. Faith changes all of our story that we who were dead in our sins now by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ have been made today the righteousness of God in Christ. Hallelujah. And that we were strangers to the covenants of promise. That's what that's, that's what that's saying, that we didn't have any part in this, in the good things of God. Let's bring up verse 12 again. And at that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant's promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And verse 13, but now, everybody shout, but now. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He did all that before we ever even looked his direction. Before we ever wanted anything to do with God, he did all that. Right. That's a love that's hard, yeah. to, hard to comprehend. The only thing that we can do with that kind of love is to receive it. Yeah. The only Amen. thing we can do with that kind of grace is to receive it. You can't earn grace. You can only receive it by faith. Yeah. It's by Amen. grace you are saved through faith. And that not yeah. of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not yeah. of works, lest any man should boast. So that no man can say, I got here to heaven because I was good. I did all the right stuff. The good outweighed the bad. Sorry, it ain't going to work like that. Those who are there are those who say, I believe the Lord Jesus Christ died for my sins. I believe he was buried and he rose again from the dead. I have no hope without him. He is my only way to heaven. He is my only way to have a relationship with God. I'm hopeless without him, but with him I have all the hope in the world. He reached out through the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Jesus hung up on that cross, his arms stretched wide, symbolizing God's love was wide open to all mankind at that moment. That which was keeping us from him, that wall of separation between Jew and Gentile now was broken down, the scripture says. And Paul says it like this, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. There's no difference between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all, is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter, standing in Cornelius' house, he says, of a truth I perceive, God is no respecter of persons. Things have changed. Hallelujah. Because of that blood that was shed, that cross. Hallelujah. And he brought a new and living way for us. I want us to just stand for a moment and let's just lift our voices and let's thank our Savior for his amazing sacrifice for us. Thank him that he reached all the way over to us who didn't have any right to any good things, but he reached over to us and said, I'll take you. He adopted you. He brought you into the family of God. He chose you. He accepted you. He loved you, and he, and he loves you now. Hallelujah. Just come on. Let's lift up our voices and bless him.
Just let him hear your praise today. Let, that, let there be a fruit of your lips giving thanks to his name. We thank you, Jesus, for bleeding and dying for us. Thank you that you took the full weight of our sin upon you. Not only did you pronounce the judgment, but you carried out the sentence for our judgment. And I thank you now that we are free in the Lord Jesus Christ. And your scripture says that he who, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. We stand here free. Law arms lifted up and mouths open declaring yes. the mighty works of God. How great is our God. How great is our God. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Thank you that you reached over to us. Thank you that you looked upon us, foreigners, sinners, dead in our trespasses, and chose to love us, chose to favor us. Thank you for that. We're grateful today for this great salvation. We're grateful today that even though our life here on earth is temporary, yet in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's everlasting. We're grateful today that when we close our eyes in death here, we've only just begun to live. We awake, we arise, we live in the presence of God. We thank you, Lord, that life in you never ends. And your word says that in the ages to come, you will show to us, reveal to us the exceeding riches of your grace. Lord, it's, it's amazing right now. It's the only thing that we can say about it and sing about it is that your grace is amazing. And yet when we see your word, it looks like we've only scratched the surface of what it really is. Today, if you're here with every head bowed and every eye closed for a moment, if you're here today and you're away from God and you know it, you've been living life for yourself, whatever seems right in your own eyes. And today, you need to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. You need to let him come and be Lord of your life. You want to be a part of the family of God and know that life doesn't end just because it ends here on earth, but you can have a place in heaven with him. And if you're here today and say, Pastor Eric, please pray for me. Just right where you are, just raise your hand. All right, just right where you are. Okay, thank you. Anyone else here? You're away from God, you know it. You just need to come. Some of you find yourself like the prodigal son that you hear about in the Bible. You, you know him, but you're just away from him. And you know that. You want to come back to him. Just raise your hand. I want to pray for you here today. Thank you. Father, I thank you now for these who have raised their hands today. Father, I thank you that you're with them even right now, that there's grace for them. If we could all just pray this prayer, let's just say this. God, I receive your grace in my life. I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe he was buried. And I believe he rose again. Three days later, I believe all my sins are washed away. And now I am alive in him. God is my father. Heaven is my home. Jesus is my Lord. And the Holy Spirit is my helper. Thank you, Father, for that. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. And amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. We love you guys very much. Make sure that Mr. Mitchell and Miss Jamie get loved on real good before they're out of here. We love you, Mitch and Jamie, very much. Very much. And Hunter, we like you too. Where is he? Did he leave? All right, make sure they get loved on good too. All right, we love you guys. We'll see you Wednesday night. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We would like to invite you to one of our service times in either McKinney or Dallas. 
Sunday mornings in McKinney at 9.30 and 11, and Wednesday evenings at 7, and in Dallas, 10.30 Sunday mornings, and our 1 o'clock One Cause Dallas Espanol service. You can find out more information about our church at onecausechurch.com. If you'd like to partner with our ministry, there is also a link on the front page of our website.